Welcome to the Shari Tzedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Shari Tzedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. So, there, for those of you who don't know, I've been in Florida for a year. I moved down from Cincinnati, so I've been in the Northeast, I've been in the Midwest, I've lived in Canada. Um, and there were a lot of things I didn't know about Florida before I moved down here. But one of the things that I had heard about was Florida drivers, right? See, the immediate reactions, right? I I think a different thing probably comes to mind for each of us when we hear it. Maybe they drive too slow or too fast. Maybe they never use turn signals. Maybe they careen from one lane to the other. Um, Maybe they go the wrong way down roads or like turn into the wrong lane. And maybe they're driving around with some kind of exotic animal that they really shouldn't have in the first place. Um, Let me know if I'm totally wrong. I'm sure you'll have all kinds of creative interpretations. Um, But I think you get the idea, right? I can't quite figure out exactly what it means to be a Florida driver. Um, But I know what I heard before I moved down here, and now I am one. So there's no way around it. Um, But one of the things this made me think about is how much energy I spend passing judgment on people in cars around me while I'm driving. Um, The most frustrated you will ever see me is behind the wheel of my car, having an imaginary dialogue with the people around me, like, hey, slow down, speed racer, right? Or speed up, depending. My speed is the only right one. Um, Like, hey, pass me on the right. Yeah, that's just fine. Or like, oh, your turn signal must be broken, right? Things like that. Maybe I have the normal response. Maybe that's just what a lot of people do. Um, You know, we see someone going against the way we imagine the world should work, and in our minds, they become a threat to the order that we cherish. Um, They have mounted a rebellion against common decency by not signaling and must be punished with our impotent rage, about which they will never know or care. But... Part of the problem with this approach is, A, when someone sees you yelling at another car through the window at like an intersection, but B, it's that we're not seeing the full picture of what's going on, right? I I am in my car assuming the worst about someone that I know nothing about, right? What about every time that that person has done something wonderful and praiseworthy? What about, you know, maybe the trouble and stress that they're dealing with on a daily basis. We all have those. And what if this was the one day that their turn signal was truly broken? But seriously use turn signals, thank you. Um, So our double Torah portion this week, Matot Maset, which ends the book of Numbers, has a lot in it. 
Um, but in part, it tells a story of assuming the worst, of doubting intentions. So after having wandered the wilderness for 40 years, the people of Israel found themselves on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. That's the way they came in. They went around the bottom of the Promised Land and came in from the east. And they are preparing to cross over to this land that God has promised them. However, after a successful military campaign against the Midianites, which we won't get into now, the Israelite army had just captured some very fertile land for grazing cattle. And who was eyeing it but two tribes of cowboys, the tribes of Reuben and God. They, they had a lot of cattle. They actually were cowboys. So Reuben and God, representatives from these tribes, go to Moses and ask to be given that land so they could build homes and pasture their livestock. Makes sense, right? They're already in a place perfect for cows. Let's just stay here. They didn't want to cross the Jordan with the rest of the people of Israel. And Moses is furious. He rages. Are your brothers to go to war while you stay here? Why will you turn the minds of the Israelites from crossing into the land that God has given them? So Moses recalls the shameful account of the ten spies who through their doubt about being able to capture the land of Israel, they condemned the people of Israel to wander for 40 years. And then Moses continues. And now you, a breed of sinful men, have replaced your fathers to add still further to God's wrath against Israel. If you turn away from God and God abandons them once more in the wilderness, you will bring calamity upon all this people. So the Torah ha has been clear about Moses being a little intense, but this feels like a little much. Maybe he hadn't had his coffee yet. Um, or someone in front of him wasn't using their turn signal. Regardless, one of the tribal representatives speaks up and assures Moses that the men of Reuben and God will build their homes, leave their families there, and then join up with the rest of the tribes to complete the military conquest of the Promised Land. And Moses says, oh, okay, I'm paraphrasing. So the Reubenites and the Gadites came to this conversation with the intention to continue offering their services, fighting for the people of Israel. But Moses wasn't able to hear that at first. Moses was afraid that the disaster that condemned the generation that left Egypt to death would repeat, or that two tribes entering the land would encourage others to avoid it as well. Perhaps Moses' anger and fear and hurt caused him to withhold the benefit of the doubt. But when he gave the tribes a chance to share their intentions, to clarify what they meant, it turned out that there was never really a problem to begin with. There's actually another story about the tribes of Reuben and God in the book of Joshua, which is almost a sequel to this one with the same characters and similar themes. After the people conquer the land and assign everyone their territory, Joshua meets with the heads of Reuben, God, and now the tribe of Manasseh, too. They wanted in on this land across the river. To wish them well and to send them back to the other side of the Jordan River, warning them to faithfully keep God's commandments. When they go to, back to their homesteads, they take their newfound wealth, the spoils of war, and build a Mizbeach Gadol Lemareh, a large and conspicuous altar. 
perhaps a direct rival to the tabernacle, the portable temple the Israelites built in the wilderness. A report reaches the Israelites, rumors that these tribes have built their own altar. Um, everyone hears about it, and immediately the other tribes muster at Shiloh uh, to prepare for war against them because of an altar. But first, wisely, Joshua sends a delegation of tribal chieftains to negotiate, led by Pinchas, who, if you remember last week's Torah portion, uh, just ran two people through with a spear. So a very level-headed negotiator, right? No, so, so he's, a, he's a stab first, ask questions later kind of guy. But this is the message that he delivered to the tribes. Thus said the whole of God's community, what is this treachery that you have committed this day against the God of Israel? turning away from God, building yourselves an altar, and rebelling this day against God. If you rebel against God today, tomorrow God will be angry with the whole community of Israel. Right? Same idea. If you do bad, we're all going to get punished. But the leaders of Reuben, God, and Manasseh do not understand. They are, in fact, aghast. Right? They, they implore, El Elohim Adonai, El Elohim Adonai, God, 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 they're serious. That's how you know. God knows, and Israel too shall know, if we acted in rebellion or in treachery against God, do not vindicate us this day. So, as it turned out, the three tribes were afraid that with the borders of the Jordan River between them and the rest of the people of Israel, that they might be ostracized somewhere down the road that the children of the other tribes might not see the children of Reuben, God, and Manasseh as part of Israel because they're from the other side of the river. They thus built a large altar on the riverbank to serve as a witness that they were still loyal to God, a symbol that they were part of the community bound by God's commandments. Pinchas, for once, leaves his spear by his side, and a war is averted. Now, I know I, I really enjoyed reading these two stories alongside each other for a few reasons. One reason is they show us that people can change. Pinchas, the war priest, who in his younger days was consumed by violent zeal, leads a diplomatic mission and through honest conversation stops a war before it starts. But these stories also teach us a great deal about giving people the benefit of the doubt. The instinct to judge others unfavorably is a part of human nature. A 2014 study from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences claims that something called motive attribution asymmetry, motive attribution asymmetry, is at the heart of many conflicts in our world. Different sides of a conflict tend to operate under the assumption that their rivals are impelled by motives opposite to theirs. So for example, the people of Israel thought Reuben, God, and Manasseh built the altar out of hate for God, when it was truly built out of love for God. And what drives this asymmetry is when people refuse to talk to each other. How can we know someone else's motivations just by guessing? It is so easy to paint a picture of someone else in a particular way when we don't understand them or where they're coming from. But once we engage with them with genuine curiosity, it tends to turn out that a lot of what we assume about them doesn't hold true anymore. 
Now, the benefit of the doubt can be a little dangerous. Sometimes there are people who will take advantage of that. Sometimes there are people who only care about winning, who won't engage in good faith discourse. But these cases should not stop us from pursuing real connections, even with people we disagree with. Our tradition teaches us that a single person's life is worth the equivalent of the entire world. And this too means that each person's story is as valuable as our own and something we should listen to. El Elohim Adonai, God, Lord God, help us listen to each other with empathy and interest. Help us learn to live alongside each other in peace. Shabbat Shalom.